Hello, and welcome to the Afro Reads podcast with your hosts, Amara and Ugochi. Afro Reads is a book review podcast that was created out of our shared love for reading African fiction books. We talk through its themes and try to tie its key messages to our African heritage, culture, and contemporary issues. We invite you to turn the page and let's begin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 10th episode of Afro-Rich Podcast. I think, Ugochi, it's around the time we actually celebrate our anniversary. (laughs) (laughs) Because, yes, this time last year, we were, like, planning and doing all our preparations. And I remember I was sending you links to Amazon to buy a microphone and things like that. So we've come a long way. We have. We have. Yeah. It's been challenging, obviously, because we all have responsibilities that have grown since, like, post-lockdown. But, yes, we're happy to celebrate our 10th episode. So, welcome again for joining us. Uh, This episode will take you to Morocco. Um, It's very interesting because this is our first book on... Um, around North Africa and yes the book we looked at was Secret Sun by Leila Lalami Um, it's a really good book because it touches on many important themes in the I guess in the African world and also like in the Muslim world and what's considered priority in society and things like that so it's also a very easy read. I think it's less than 300 pages. Mm. All right. We don't have a guest this time because we wanted to take it easy and just end the year on a bang. And we really missed just hanging out, just the two of us. So yeah. hopefully this episode is interesting. Hi, Ugochi. Sorry, hello. I forgot to introduce my co-host. <laughs> Hello, hello. Sorry, I have a cold, so hopefully you can hear me okay. Yeah, I can hear you fine, and hopefully our audience can too. So, Ugochi, what have you been up to? Um, What news has stood out to you? And yeah, just tell us how you are generally. Uh, Generally, I'm doing good, you know, with the two kids. Um, There's never a dull day, but... (laughs) My son, he has like a lot of Christmas activities at school. So it's nice to mm-hmm. hear him come, like have him come back and sing what they're rehearsing at school for their play and um, all the cool stuff that he's learning. So that's always fun. And then now my daughter is starting to interact with him more and they're, they're starting to fight. <laughs> yeah, girl power. I love her. She's not even very feisty. Very feisty. So it's it's actually fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of the world, so we're planning on going to Nigeria soon. But we just got news that Nigeria has been added to the red list for the UK. And so if- Yeah when we're coming back, then that, that means that we have to quarantine in a government managed hotel for 10 days and pay per adult, not even, well, per adult in our case, but they don't charge anyone under four years old. Um, I think that's crazy, but, you know, trying to see what we can do now. 
Yeah, it's crazy. And in the broader sense, I hear like, I don't hear, but in the news and just the way it seems like, you know, they've banned about eight or nine African countries. And in about 80% of these African countries banned, there is no reported case of Omicron, of the Omicron virus. So everyone is like, this is like travel appetite. Like there are countries in Europe and in other parts of the world where there are more cases of this um, virus and they've not been banned as well. So there's a lot of outrage at the moment. Yeah. I feel trapped because I'm in Nigeria. So I, I literally have to deal with the fact that I'm going to be here unplanned and I'm trying to get my head around it. Sorry, Ugochi, I think I cut you off. No, I mean, it's crazy because it just doesn't feel like it's they're trusting the science as they're always saying. Um, I think the first case of Omicron was found in the UK, actually, this summer, this past summer. I wish I had the article just to reference it, but um, I read that it was it's, the first case was in the UK and that South Africa, the South African doctor uh, mm-hmm. found, they found it in South Africa, but that doesn't mean that it originated from South Africa. So I don't like the, um, it just doesn't make sense to me why you would ban South Africa and all those countries in that area and then also Nigeria. But I heard that because they've of the how many that they've discovered here in the UK, a lot of them came from Nigeria. So that's where they're thinking Nigerians are traveling to the UK and bringing it. But it's, it's a whole- I just do think it's heavy handed. Like they should calm down. If you're fully vaccinated, at least that should count for something. We should two thousand pounds. We can quarantine with that in our house and like put a bodyguard and it yeah. still be cheaper. Like. Exactly. Like, what's the point? What's the point of telling everyone, oh, when you're vaccinated, yes, you can travel, all these other things. But, you know, there's... And you have to present a negative PCR test before you board on day two and on day eight and then spend £2,000. Come on. Come on. Doesn't make sense. On top of that, those who are researching or studying the Omicron variant are saying that it's not as it, it is more um, transmissible, but not as deadly is what they're seeing so far. So I'm not sure why the heavy hand on these countries, especially Nigeria, which is nowhere near South Africa, if they're going to say, if they're going to presume that it came from South Africa. You know what I mean? This doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So that's all going on in our minds. Meanwhile, in the U.S., um, there was a high school shooting again. Um, this boy went rampage and brought a gun to his school. I've not really read the details, and this is just clips of what I've seen on TV, but he went around to his school and started shooting, and about four people have already died. Obviously, a lot of people have been um, hospitalized, but I think the the idiosyncrasies of the story is that his parents were actually involved oh my god so number one they knew he had mental issues and previously the school had told them to go take their child for counseling and that he might have like uh, mental health challenges number one number two his parents bought a gun 
the gun for him as his Christmas present, I believe. Isn't it crazy? I don't know what this Yeah, read the story, Oxford High School. So the, his parents bought the gun and kind of, not goading him, but had been, you know, making all these weird statements. They've, they are currently, they've been arrested, actually. Yeah, For good. attempted murder. Good. And then thirdly, when his mom, first of all, I think the morning he, he, wanted to do it she texted him lol please don't do it or something mm-hmm. and then after that she was like lol i know you did it but i wouldn't be mad at you oh but just God. don't get caught next time yeah so the story is still developing but it's absolutely crazy so he's been caught obviously and arrested but yeah um oh my goodness it's a crazy development because um yeah, you just went, these are so preventable, these deaths. We keep talking about them all the time. Yeah. The U.S. Yeah. is plagued with this, and yeah. it just seems like nothing is happening, you know? Right, right. Uh, yeah, the gun laws are, I don't know. I used to be against the gun, like owning a gun and having it, you know, accessible to the public and all that stuff. I do see why the NRA is trying to protect gun laws. I see it now. Like I, I, I didn't see it before, but don't under. But they should be stricter on who gets these guns for sure. Like, so why, why, why do you think the NRA has? Yeah. Um, so what do you think? the justification is well i think let's okay let me take the nra out of it i guess the the constitution or the right to bear arms i can see that if the government if the government is not protecting you or if you don't feel protected you should have the right to protect yourself i get that now um and with all that's going on now in the u.s it's more clear to me why that is like a staple in the constitution, the right to bear arms. But at the same time, there's a lot of people who have mental illness and who do not need to have a gun in their hands. So I think that part of the um, the background checks should be should be stricter. I mean, if you yeah. have, if you have a child with mental health issues in the household, you shouldn't be having. You shouldn't. You should be more investigated i guess to see whether you should have a gun yourself yeah i think a lot of people take that middle ground like um you know right to bear arms and everything but the law should just be strict in such a way that not everybody gets because it's just i think they bought it from walmart or yes sorry walmart in case this is inaccurate but it just bought it from one of those very normal supermarket like shops i don't remember the name but i was just like wow this is crazy a gun for you buying a gun is already intense that you're 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 somebody another human being can get hurt with the gun um so as long as you're able to live with that fact um yeah i mean protecting yourself and all that but yeah you just need to live with the fact that another human being is going to get hurt because you're going to pull the trigger or somebody else. Right. 
however that takes shape or whatever i don't know why can't you have um guns with blanks you know why can't you have taser guns or something like why a gun with live bullets that can kill so i don't know protect to protect yourself i mean i guess that's what i'm saying why can't you have guns with blanks where you shoot the person down but the person doesn't necessarily die yeah got it i agree i agree if there could be Um, a yes blanks or any type of other thing where you can shoot the person the person doesn't have to die just disable the person temporarily yeah and these guns do they come with training i don't know it's just it's a wild one and definitely like if I know there's even a gun hidden in a safe in my house are you comfortable with that like even if the the safe it's only me that knows the combo lock and I know I have kids or I'm about to have kids in the house is it something I'll be safe with so there's a lot of questions obviously we are saying human beings but you know this guy had mental health challenges and his parents just egged him on basically so yeah interesting case to follow i've been yeah like watching cases now court cases (laughs) so i might just follow that one yeah and then the last um update uh oh yeah i I was telling you this afternoon ugochi so I don't know. Anytime I come back for Christmas, there's always these gory stories about what happens in boarding school in Nigeria Uh when you're in high school. And obviously you have to be a boarder. Um, So last year was this horrible story about like a junior student um, getting raped, basically bullying. And then obviously it, it ended up being like sexual violation and things like that so by the time he got home he had a lot of marks he was emaciated because they had taken all his food and they were feeding him multivites on an empty stomach it was very gory but I was happy to find out that one year later when you googled the story um, some teachers and I think the school principal have been convicted Oh, good. Because his, his mom was mad, like, last year. She was spitting fire. She was on social media. You know, that kind of just, she was on a rampage. And a lot of people were supporting her, even if a lot of people were trying to silence her. But I'm so proud she got justice because the story, the, the, the pictures we saw of the boy was, was just not good. So, again... Christmas back to Nigeria I've heard another gory story about this 12 year old boy in a really in a really posh private school in Lagos in Lekki um so basically his parents were called to come pick him up from school because he'd been in the sick bay and he was not moving in terms he couldn't walk he couldn't talk well he was screaming and shouting And the school had told his parents that it was a football injury. But the story developed and they kept showing it on social media when he was screaming at home because they were taking him and um, they they were taking him to hospitals and making him have x-rays to find out that. And obviously hearing from the boy himself that 
it was actually a couple of senior boys that wanted to join the cults in the school and I'm like cults when you're like what 15 14 but basically and he didn't join or he reported them or something and they came into his room switched off the light and beat him they beat him on his bed he fell on the floor they kicked him stepped on him stepped on his waist and then finally gave him some chemical to drink and you know they gave him a chemical because it burnt his whole lips in a way that he was peeling so it was quite gory pictures on social media but I guess Nigerians because we don't have any other power because the government doesn't help we don't have good social systems you have no choice than to put your business out on social media because that's the only way you get support anyway after like two, three days, on Wednesday or so, the boy died. Oh, God. He died from his pain. So he was probably going through a lot of internal beating. Who knows? Maybe the chemical finally poisoned him or fried his system. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But he died. He passed away. And funny enough, his birthday was on 4th of December, which was yesterday. Mm-hmm. So the whole of Nigeria is outraged again. Yeah. And... um. Yeah, I don't want to really go on about this one about the story, but I do hope like the previous one they they get justice. Yeah. You know, like I always wonder like, the school obviously is covering it up. Sorry? Who's whose uh kids are these? Like Okay. How can so you... let me explain. Okay, okay. So apparently the school is covering it up and saying it's football, which is very silly because Obviously, there will be witnesses. He wouldn't have caused the football injury in court by himself. So where are they to confirm that it was a football? Meanwhile, a couple of his classmates has come out to say what he said on his dying declaration was actually right, that it wasn't football. He was beaten and he even named the people. Wow. So um, apparently, so what's more disgusting is that apparently the school allowed the boys responsible to leave the school with their parents and apparently some have flown abroad. Oh, no. So that's why people are even more outraged and it's just crazy. Um, What stands out to me is that the whole of Nigeria are beginning to tell like the gory stories of what it was like in boarding school and the bullying, the constant bullying you know so it's a dark week in Nigeria in terms of that I think it's good that that's being addressed though because when you cause trauma to someone it's they're going to pass it to someone else so full stop Shikena. yeah these boys were probably bullied as junior students and obviously I'm not defending them but it's a horrible vicious circle that we need to address now um Yes. And, you know, another thing is that my school was absolutely against physical forms of punishment. People were expelled. If you even sneezed at a student, you you were expelled immediately. Teachers were sacked. But there was also a lot of emotional bullying. Uh, so I think all of this just needs to be addressed. There needs to be better safeguarding laws against recruitment of teachers, yeah. you know, mental health, mentors, just 
people to look out for these kids because you're right this boy would have survived but who knows he would have passed the aggression on or is that manifested in some ugly way mm-hmm. obviously i'm not saying he should have died <laughs> but, but yeah it just needs to be addressed definitely like the stories i hear but people are like oh yeah it made me stronger but you still went through that and you know it still affects those people. Yeah. So yeah, definitely should be addressed. <laughs> okay. So yeah, that was a very useful kind of way to catch up on current events. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the book um, Secret Son by Leila Lalami, I'm just going to do a quick summary. This is top of my head so hopefully I get it right okay so the book is about Yusuf basically Yusuf is the main character he is I don't know how old he is but I think he's probably in his late teenage years yeah and they described his environment um basically a slum or a not so well to do part of Morocco and just how People didn't live in the greatest conditions. There was hardly infrastructure or amenities. People basically lived in slums and very, very like um, shoddy looking houses. And even, you know, even when things like flood came about, like it destroyed a lot of homes and they had one cinema to serve so many people. And even that wasn't good enough. So that was the same setting of where Yusuf lived. He lived with his single mother called Rashida. Um, And basically, uh, they took us through Yusuf's life and just how unsatisfactory everything was. He had friends that really couldn't inspire him. Then he, he barely graduated from high school and was barely coping in university. He was also living in the dire social economic situation where the politicians were coming to make empty promises not doing much and people were just generally frustrated the good thing about Yusuf is that he really loved cinema he loved to hang out and to watch movies he imagined himself as an actor because he wanted to be the center of the stage really front like front front and center of the stage so that was like his um that was like his 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 um uh, his little um escape yes his little escape and when the cinema got destroyed by flood he started to hang out with um his friends in another center so it was a center created by by, by her team who was like a religious leader and wanted to bring more young people into the Muslim into the Muslim way of life basically so they created a center where people could socialize and meet up and discuss about important political issues so that went on nicely and then they took us through Yusuf's life so through certain discoveries he found out that his mom was lying to him all his life and his father wasn't actually dead but alive 
And the person who thought that he thought was his father was actually someone his mom paid off to act like his father, but who was no longer in the picture. So the only picture he had in the house was from for this man who his mom paid off. His father was actually a rich millionaire living on the other outskirts of town, um, very wealthy from a well-to-do family. So he discovered that. Now the link is that Rashida, who grew up in an orphanage where her dad had to leave her because he really couldn't care for her, started working at him as a maid for a rich family and she got entangled with the son called Nabil and got herself pregnant. Now, because of Nabil and his family status, they kind of shooed her away, gave her money for abortion, but she went to another part of town, gave birth to Yusuf, and yes, yeah, started living um, as a single mom in a different part of town. I guess that's the slum area I was trying to describe. So Yusuf found all this out and started searching for his father, whom he found. His father, meanwhile, had a daughter who, at the period of when he found Yusuf, was also going through her crisis because she was in a good university in in America, but she was dating a Spanish guy who I think was more on um was dark skin toned yes so her parents were not pleased at all so in a way in the in in the way the book described it he sort of replaced his daughter with Yusuf so it was like having a new toy so he loved Yusuf he 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 housed Yusuf in one of his penthouses in a nice part of town Yusuf had a maid he kind of abandoned his mom. Um, he got a really good job at a hotel his father worked at and his father owned. Um, so life was good in general and Yusuf was just loving life. All there going down here when his father suddenly cut him off because his wife, Nabil, Nabil's wife, wasn't having it. And he and Rashida, Yusuf's mom, secretly plotted that Yusuf should be basically cut off so that she can return back to Rashida. So that happened and things just got bad to worse because Yusuf went into depression, flunked out on school and flunked out on his exams. So he joined the large unemployment um, um, bunch that was already in place. And finally, he joined um, a suicide bombing mission which was formed by Hatim, the religious or the Muslim sect leader that had formed that um yes it was called the Oasis that formed that that had built that center. So suicide mission again he was the center because he was going to be the suicide bomb bomber but he felt he he had that right because he will he'll be doing something good for the world. But through some intel, he found out that the mission was actually um, a setup. And even when he tried to avoid the mission, or should I say to um, abort the mission, he ended up backfiring on him. And the mission went on. The person that was being targeted got killed. 
and um, by the end of the book, he was arrested for it. So yes, that's the book in a nutshell. As you can see, it has so many themes to go on. I can analyze this book all day. I wrote some questions out and yes, I'm just going to read it out and then we can both respond to it and yeah, just share our reflections and our thoughts on it. Sounds good. So my first question, what is a significant takeaway for you from this book? I like how he, the book explored his emotions in finding his father, finding out he had, his father was still alive, finding his father and the honest emotions that came out of that, like the, the journey that that took us. So we would, in a, in a happy world, we would assume, oh, finding your lost, your long lost parent would be happy forever with them, right? But he, mm-hmm. he, he was very happy, but then he also discovered um, his dad's faults, his mom's faults, accepted that, um, realized that his dad wasn't the best person, realized, and I guess when he realized that, that's when he went back to Hatim, right? And maybe listened to his, his pitch on the suicide mission. Um, but then also realized that the suicide mission wasn't the best idea, even though he might get back at his dad. So it was a nice, I like that, I like that that part of the story took us through the journey of his emotion in with his relationship with his dad, if that makes sense. <laughs> it's kind of complicated. Um, um, yeah, just to pick up on what you said, you just, there was no right person, there was no wrong person. So there was no clear antagonist or protagonist in the book all of them were a bit selfish all of them had good points from Yusuf to Nabil to Rashida to Nabil's wife to even his sister all of them had points where you could pick out to say you know yeah you could have acted in a less villain way you know and that's why I like about the book you could points excuses to to kind of see their behavior like there are some times in the book I thought Rashida was just a villain like how can you knowing your condition like just basically separate Yusuf from his dad you know not make an attempt to even see first of all agree to have an abortion then not agree then you separate him from his dad and subject him to the life you want just because you don't want to be lonely and then when yeah. he finally makes, you know, has a relationship with his dad, you forcefully take that away in a very deceitful way. And then when his sister visits, you also take that from him. Yeah. And as God will have it, like at the end of the day, all you end up is with a suicide bomber, you know. So what, you know, you should, she must be laughing because it's like, so all this protection I was doing what has it amounted to yeah it was an all for nothing but at the same time you know because of her upbringing she was raised in an orphanage rejected by her not rejected by her father but partially abandoned by her father you know then she was taken advantage of well I don't know if he's taken advantage of because she was sleeping with a married man but again there was a power disparity and then 
she lived such a lonely life, you know, was always seen as a low class person in society because she was single and she didn't have family background. And then she was excluded from social events. So her life was really kind of pathetic, but she just learned to get on with it. Um, Originally, like, I felt like she was a bad person (laughs) for rejecting, um, restricting her or not telling her son the truth. But as you've explained the trajectory of her life and how she got to this place, I can understand why she did what she did. It might not be right, but I understand um, her limitations, I guess. Um, and her limitations brought her to that conclusion that yes, I should protect protect my son from his father. Yeah, so that's why I like the book. Like there was just it wasn't clear cut. I always like it when protagonists are very flawed or antagonists are kind of humble and righteous in a way, like kind of in the middle. Mm-hmm. So this book really did that for me. Then number two. The main character, Yusuf, always seemed to come out at the burnt end of the stick. Is there anything he could have done differently? Um, I, As reading it, I didn't see what he could have done differently. I mean, given his circumstances, no. He, he met Hatim, the Muslim leader, right, of the Oasis. He met him... At a, in a dire situation when there's a flood in his community. So then this character Hatim comes and offers them things that the, their government should be offering, but doesn't. So of course, someone's going to lean towards a person that's offering you something to help you to survive whatever crisis is going on. So he couldn't, he, it would have been hard for him to stay away from that kind of character, right? So I don't see it. And and then also the yearning from his, for his father. He didn't know what what type of person his father was. Um, his mom didn't tell him anything about his father. And naturally, a person would want to know who their parents are. So I don't fault him for seeking his father's seeking out his father, falling into that trap. I guess it was inevitable. Um, and then getting in the in the crossfires of Hatim's. Uh, suicide, uh, not suicide, um, Hatim's plan to kill that journalist. So I don't think he made any wrong decisions. It's just his circumstances led him to make those decisions. Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm trying to find like an opposing view, but there really isn't. Like, yeah, it's just, I think it's really depressing that even in real life, someone's life trajectory can just be that way. You know, just bad situation, a bad situation, and then you just make one wrong move because you've been ill-advised, and that's it. You end up in prison. No one is asking questions or anything. Like, this guy clearly had daddy issues, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. he had an absent father, maybe he found that father figure in her team, you know, trying to impress him by taking on the suicide mission. His dad literally picked him up and then dropped him like hot coal after so many years of being absent in his life. Right. So, you know, there's always been that yearning. So even just 
I guess growing up with a dad to just have that like person to look up to he didn't have and his mom wasn't in a lot of social circles so that was a gaping hole that was missing yeah but no one asked these questions you know so I really want to find like an opposite okay no he should have but I just feel yeah so it's it's quite sad you know it's sad and it happens very often in society in general so when people judge others for um certain crimes and things like that this is why it's important to to get the full story of the person's lifestyle how they were brought up who's in the household all that like everything matters before you pass that judgment like actions taken can be bad yes but what can we do to raise healthier people in society i think that's a big question that people need to ask and try to solve i mean obviously if we if if we explain and explain and consider all the options we won't really move anywhere in life so i just always wonder you know where does it start and stop and who has that authority to start and stop it you know mm. who has that authority to say oh um what you're doing is mo- morally incorrect and this is like obviously if we consider even these bullies i talked about earlier i'm sure if you dig into all of them all their past you realize maybe one was raped one was sexually assaulted one was this one saw a lot of domestic violence in his household so where 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 is like the chicken and egg situation where do you start who do you blame you know well um for, I think that in order to solve that problem, maybe not call it moral, like what's morally right, morally wrong. Maybe just yes. maybe just do like a scientific study and say this percentage of people did this because of an absent father in the home or, you know, make it more scientific. And then maybe people will see that, okay, let me not fall into this category. Let me try to fall into this category. You know, I think that might work. Um, no, no, no. Gotcha, but you know people don't do things for the sake of rationality. Okay. It's more about emotions, feelings. If people did things because of rationality, because X percent was this and Y percent was that, we will get a totally different situation. People act on impulse. People act on feelings, how you made them feel, how you did this. Yeah, I agree. So, but it's all very interesting. Like, they are just things we seem to concentrate on more i'm not even going to give examples because that's not the point and then there are others that are left behind okay number three yusuf always wanted to be a star and was initially excited to carry out the terrorist attack are the two situations linked is there a common thread in his character to stand out yes (laughs) <laughs> I see it. I see that link now. Wow. Yeah, um, it's something I discovered because I think um, when he was contemplating doing the suicide mission, there was a whole paragraph of how he was contemplating it, but in his mind, he kept telling himself he's doing it for a cause and finally, like, he'd get to 
stand out and you know be known for something mm. obviously we've just previously talked about how horrible his circumstances were so maybe this was like the last thread of okay i'm not going to become a hollywood actor where i'll be on a red carpet and receive awards but his subconscious was like okay but we can't still make it on onto like the newspaper for a noble cause um yeah and so so he decided to take the mission i mean obviously he probably wanted to get back to but get back at his dad because he was, he was doing that his hotel and also his dad's friend but i mean so that's why i wanted to see if there was a link there mm. i actually i don't know if i see the link with him wanting to be a center of attention and um, him, I guess, being involved in that. I feel like that was more so to get back at his dad. But uh, okay. there, was a, there was a time when he was with his dad. Uh, no, when he got fired from the hotel. And he mm-hmm. was like, do you know who I am? And I felt like he, um, during that time, he had like that personality personality of grandeur is that what it's called that yeah he, yeah that he he was a star he's he's bigger than he actually was I feel like he felt like he was bigger than he was actually was so yeah I feel yeah like there yeah and then also like I found it strange that he'd lived with his mother all his life you know there are times they describe in the book where he would look at her and she was bent, not because she was bent, bent, but because her posture had become bent because, you know, she used to strain her eyes to try and do some needling work and things like that. And so, like, my point, he had seen the lowest of low, but as soon as his dad came, I think within, like, a month, he moved all his stuff, didn't look back, didn't blink, and just you know acclimatized to like the big mansion and stuff and this is why I'm saying that's center I don't know maybe it's not center of attention but illusions of grandeur yeah so to me taking on a suicide mission was either you know what I didn't get that so I hate the world and I'm going to blow it off or just more like you know what negative press is still press either one I, I don't know I tried to find a link because, yeah, I remember that paragraph where he was contemplating and he kept saying, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm finally going to be known for something good or noble. Ah. And I found that strange. I totally forgot that part. <laughs> now that you've said it, yeah, yeah, I see it now. I see that. I'll finally be known for something. Yeah, he said something like that. Um, I feel sorry for him. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's so sad. I really do. Like, is it is it bad to dream? Is it bad to want to be an actor? Like, yeah. I was thinking even before, because obviously, when you're halfway through the book, you, you wouldn't know about the suicide mission till you get to the end. But I was like, this is a guy that you know is minding his business, trying to go to school, trying to make friends. Is he is he is he his fault that? You know, he was raised by a single mom in a slum-looking environment. Like, is it his fault to want to dream to yeah. be an actor? 
you know, unemployment rate was really high. There was just no way out for these kids. Like they, they clearly describe this in the book. Mm-hmm. What, what else do you actually want him to do? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So he, he really has limited options. I really thought the fact they kept describing his blue eyes that he would break out, you know? Mm. But yeah, that just was just one of many things. <laughs> yeah. So my fourth question, who do you think is the real villain in the book? Um, while reading the book, I thought it was his mom, but um, I think the real villain is his dad, for sure, because I, I feel like he has no emotions, <laughs> or he does, but he, he thinks much more of himself than anyone else. He's very selfish, but he loves his daughter. <laughs> yeah, he loves his daughter, but but it's very odd that again he dropped her like i don't know maybe yeah as you said it's something about his nature um you get someone pregnant i know men a lot of men obviously do this this is not like new but you get someone pregnant yeah fine you don't even know why she left so i don't even think okay i think she he, he i think he kept saying she just stood up and left you didn't bother to find her or ask. But again, maybe he thought she did have an abortion. So fast forward, you dropped your son, then dropped your daughter, then dropped your son again. His mind switches so quick. You have to try and keep up. You support your friend, then you don't, then you do. Yeah, and it's all like self-interest. Because I feel like he dropped his daughter because he wasn't getting his way. He wanted yeah. something that she didn't, you know, so that's selfish. Like excommunicated, like, can you imagine? Yeah. In the middle of an expensive school, you stop paying for everything. Yeah. You know, you, do, you, don't, you don't even care. You just, like, obviously, I think he probably suspected his mom was helping, but I mean, the girl had to sell her car and move in with um her boyfriend and things like that so she wasn't it wasn't easy for her but the fact you don't even care about these things and then you just took up a new toy yep your son is in town or maybe he did care about his daughter when doing that maybe he did care but wanted to prove a point because he did want her to be a part of the business and come back to morocco right oh yes that's true yeah so and we see often how parents do that. They cut their kids off because the kids aren't doing what the parents want them to do. Mm-hmm. That's not um, too unusual. Yeah, to be honest, it's not too unusual. Yeah. But um... but the fact that he he took on his son and allowed his son to grow feelings and then dropped his son, that part is troubling to me. I don't like it. <laughs> I mean, like, even if you you found out it was your wife that was behind it, so he didn't even care to look out. Even like maybe set up a secret bank account, just any yeah. yeah let, especially because he sold the boy a lot of dreams, like yeah. even made him start resenting school. Yes, you know. Yeah. So yeah, crazy. 
So the, the true villain, as I said in the beginning, I just like the fact that all the characters were flawed. Um, I could go on all day discussing all the characters, the good and the bad. Um, so yeah, so it's good we are talking about Nabil because we both agree that he was also a very weird one. We had discussed mom previously. Yeah, Hatim also is, I, I think, is a villain because he, he, I feel like he's opportunistic. He came at, to a place of crisis and he yeah. used kids to carry out his own plan. And, you know, did it, did, you know, and I feel like the way the center was set up is a way to groom boys yeah. as well. Agreed. Because, yeah. yeah, they used to play chess and have discussions but he used to come in and just start like bad mouthing journalists and just start saying a lot of strange things yeah you know and because that's the only part of town where things work like maybe electricity you're you find yourself always there so you find yourself like you're thinking being infiltrated because of what he's saying and that's that yeah, he's, um, I definitely didn't like that character. <laughs> it's very bizarre that he knew about, oh, yes, so this is where the grooming, I think. And you're absolutely right. He's an opportun- opportunist- opportunistic person because even Yusuf hadn't really told people about his father's connection. He already knew from the day one. So he kind of almost knew who to target for the suicide mission. I mean, who had no future ambition at all. Yeah. And then Yusuf, yeah. you know, the two weakest link, he just knew how to get them. Yeah. Those kind of people are the most dangerous. You yeah. don't know where they get their story from. They are just predators. But at the same time, he was trying to give the community what they wanted. Mm, but that's how these people get people they offer something yeah, shiny yeah. so I, any anyone offering you something shiny for free is something wrong but in his mind does he think it's wrong do you see what i mean i mean in his mind if he feels like you know the soldiers some soldiers have to die to restore a more equitable society and to really push for the Muslim or the Islamic values to be practiced and stuff. Does In his mind, does he really think that is the worst thing in the world? That's what you need to be considering. Who, Hatim? Yeah. Maybe not in his mind, but I think it's selfish for you to have your, your ideology and think it's the best and try to and kill people to have your your ideology widespread. Yeah, but a few people need to die. Even Christianity, like, people died. I'm just saying, like, yeah, they died to all these new leaders. For, for you to really change the ideology of the world, there's always a revolution where few people need to die. And I just wonder if, in his mind, that's what he thought. Like, you know, we have to sacrifice a little, the pawns, basically. But who is he to say the world is mine to spread my ideology to? You know, that's not how religious people work or people that are really in that mindset. You know, you know, the way we Christians, we say, oh, you know, 
if you don't know Christ, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you don't know Christ, you won't enter heaven. Yeah. yeah. So people that don't know Christ are basically heathens or people that are going to hell. So just flip it. That's the way people like Hatim think. Obviously, they're also manipulative, but like, yeah. you know. Yeah. I am actually doing the world a favor. I want you guys to go to heaven, you know. I don't want you to be punished by Allah. Why is all these bad things happening? And so in their head, they're like, okay, we need a crusade, suicide bombing. A journalist is being the devil at the moment and we need to cast him out. Yeah. So you you tend to, even it, to me, Hatim reminds me of pastors. They remind me of anybody religious, religious leaders, because there's a bit of manipulation there. Yeah. Just a bit, a tiny bit. Yeah, <laughs> more than tiny for some of them. Exactly. <laughs> I don't want to. I'm trying to be respectful in case there's a pastor listening. Sorry, pastor, but it's actually true. Um. Uh, so I don't. That's why I'm saying like, there's a good and bad in everybody in all the characters in this, and I can analyze for days. Mm-hmm. Um, her team is just like a pastor that maybe that has taken it too far. Yeah. Yeah. I okay. So. Number five, Yusuf's mother always found herself protecting the men in her life, her father, Nabil, and now Yusuf, to her own detriment. Why do you think she did this? Did she have any other options? Can you, so who? Rashida? Yeah, Rashida always found herself protecting the men in her life. So it was her father, then Nabil, then Yusuf, to her own detriment. Why do you think she did this? And did she have other options? I don't know if the book said that, said what her religious or were her religious background or. I don't think so, right? Because I was assuming that maybe, maybe she was. I can't speak for, um, I guess, the Muslim culture because I'm not Muslim. But I feel like the women respect their men and. Um, I don't, I'm trying to be like politically correct. (laughs) Um, Just a lot of patriarchy going on, right? Yes, a lot of patriarchy going on. So she could be groomed, she could have been groomed to respect that patriarchy in her father, in her son, in, in whatever man is around her. She could have been groomed for that. Yeah, that's just a simple answer to it. And, you know, even when she was just trying to live her life as a single woman, that was hard. So to me, she was protecting the men, still living like a single woman. So basically a prostitute in the eyes of the society. So she was really getting the bad end of the bad edges of, I don't know, the edges of the stick kind of thing. Like there was no breathing space for her because if she was protecting the men, but she was still under somebody's roof and she was at least joy, enjoying, you know, the benefits of having a partner, fair enough. But she was living like, as a single woman. She was shunned by society, basically, and was just living by herself. She was poor. And then she still, in that, in the midst of all that, she still had to protect her father, who she said that once she got pregnant in the orphanage, like, or, or, or working in Nabil's house like she couldn't go back because yeah. of his reputation 
and then she protected Nabil, obviously not saying that he's the father or not publicizing it, moving to another part of town, and then Yusuf, obviously as her only child. So, um, so yeah, her situation and and it's just that burden of being a woman. Not even only in that kind of society. To me, in Africa as well, like Nigeria. Yes. yes. Obviously, I've not lived in Asia or whatever, but I, I'm I'm guessing it's similar. But I don't want. I only want to talk about what I know. Yeah. But it's that burden of, from when you're born as a woman, you're just taught, your subconscious is just like the world belongs to the man. Yes. Yeah. I I remember this morning that I, I just thought about it. I really hate housework. I just absolutely hate it. Like, <laughs> I hate sweeping. I hate being told, like, I only do housework because, okay, the house is dirty and all that. But I, and the reason I really hate it because as growing up, you know, from your grandma to your aunties to your mom, everybody's like, sweep the house. Don't you want to be sweeping? Is this how you behave in your marriage, in your married house? <laughs> Is this how you be washing plates? Is this how you be cooking? It's like married house, married house, married house, married house. Ah. <laughs> so now I completely rebel against it because I'm just like, okay, I'm not married now. I still hate it. And even when I get married, just forget it. But the point is that it's just your subconscious. So all your life, you've just been told, okay, do this. Is this how, is this how you'll be dressing in your married house? Why, why, why does it have to stop? Why can't you just dress because you want to look nice, you know? Yeah. But yeah, so you're just taught that, obviously that's a tiny example, but you know, or you're, you grew up with boys, you know, you have boys that are your siblings, but you notice that you're the only one entering the kitchen mm-hmm. and they are the ones playing football or just sitting at home waiting for you for for them to be served yeah it's the little things and then you grow up and that's it women subservient to men same cycle same thing same protection um i mean i wonder in any of these households if the woman i mean if the moms say to their sons okay this is what you have to do for your future wife can't remember to get her flowers Remember to tell her that she's beautiful. Hold her hand when she's pregnant. You know, all those things. I wonder. I mean, I grew up with all girls, so I don't, I don't know. I don't think, I think the problem, I think, don't get me wrong. I think our generation is a bit more woke. Yeah. Or at least on social media, they pretend to be, I don't know how they are in their houses. but <laughs> So let me put us to that. Like everyone seems more woke. But I think it's not about telling her to, telling him to buy her flowers. It's just, if you're telling me to wash plates, also tell him to wash plates. Not for any, not to please anyone in the future. You know, not to please, just because plates are meant to be washed and calculating it. I, as a woman, I've just come back from work. I am tired. Your sister is already doing something. So you, you cannot be not be doing something. Do you understand? Yeah. Just division of labor. That's end. Like, I don't want to hear, oh, because in the future, if you must do this, like, because in the future, I just want you to live independently and not have to subject anybody, wife, woman, partner, house girl, house boy, to unnecessary chores you can do by yourself. Like, it's really as simple as that. Yeah, just um, chores. 
everyone has a chore yeah do it. do it that's it like um so yeah it's just crazy now like i i just shudder like i just don't i hate housework like as soon as i i can afford it i'm just gonna get a lot of people to help and obviously <laughs> pay them but I, I feel bad because my mom just looks at me now. She doesn't say anything, but I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, you can't tell me anything now, please. I beg. Don't even try it. But yeah, maybe I would have been softer if everyone just left me alone. But... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Don't get me wrong. It's not like my house is dead to you. Uh, ah. I'm, just... I'm the same way. I'm the same but, Yeah. Same. I mean, I clean now because now I have kids. So, like, I have to. I, <laughs> I have to for them. But yeah, because I was the oldest. I'm the oldest, so mm-hmm. I had to do everything, clean all the time. Me, me, me. So yeah, I grew resentment towards that. Yeah. Okay. So next question. Uh, what do you think of Nabil Yusuf's father in general? Uh, we've already talked about this. Mm-hmm. but the second question is how would he react to his son's arrest I don't think he would care to be honest um, I don't know so the author was trying to make out that the father was kind of reverting back to his political side and activism side kind of thing by for instance he supported the journalist at the last minute when he was so opposed to him yeah um, so it's a good test to see whether he actually supports his son um, or if he could take on that selfish trait we've been talking about where when he sees fit, he just drops you like hot potato. Or do you think he'd be really upset that his son was maybe involved in killing a friend? Ooh, that's another emotion I hadn't considered. Yeah. Um. So that's very interesting because I'm sure Yusuf is going to be screaming through the roof that he is his son. I've forgotten his surname. Arman. Yeah, Arman. He's going to be screaming and shouting that. But it's also well, like, I really liked how it played out. Obviously, even if he carried out the suicide attack, it was orchestrated in such a way that the kid, the killers will be caught yes yeah so as you can see the his other friend malit malit i've forgotten his name mati yeah mati mati had already started discussing with the police people on the plan on the plot Mm -hmm. so it's it was crafted in a way especially because there was a lot of insecurity already going on a lot of rumblings you know mm-hmm. so it's perfect like the police needed a win whoever was in power needed a win so suicide bombing has happened so it's orchestrated in a way that they cut the two the pawns in the story All right so there'll be like a public execution a public display of you know what we are doing our jobs here yeah these two people they are executing are basically meaningless Everybody praises the government for trying to do something good. And yeah, no one really asks questions. So I, in, by the end of the book, I was even wondering if her team was part of the plot with the police people. If 
he deliberately leaked information to Maati. Um, that's a good, that's interesting. Maybe. Yeah. Give them something small, you know. Yeah. They win. They don't really touch him because I'm sure he's removed himself. Like, I don't know these people. Right. Because there's no way he would plan a suicide mission like that and be linked to it. I'm sure he's planned his own route properly. Yeah. So give me something small. I'll remain in the society. I won't disturb you. You won't disturb me. You know? You're right. Because if he did not make a deal with the cops, right, the cops would say, yeah. oh, our team had been hanging out at the Oasis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That journalist uh, doesn't talk too kindly about the owner of the Oasis. So Hatim would be linked, right, to this mission. Yeah. He def- I think he definitely sought out a, plan- a-, a deal with the police. That's- or just like, yeah, just this is small fish, take it, yeah. do what you need. So that's why I feel like he really dug himself into a hole, yeah. Yusuf. And it's so sad because he had, I think when when we wanted to think of something he could have done differently, this was exactly it. Like he had an escape route. He could have just not shown up at the hotel at all that day. Yeah. Um, But he did. So it's really it's really sad because if his dad doesn't say anything, yeah, he would spend the rest of his life in jail or be executed. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. So a lot depends on his father. Um and it could go either way. Yeah. I mean, given that Yusuf is a son and his father doesn't have any other male heirs, I think that his father would save him from execution. Maybe because it's of just that. So sad. Yeah. It's so sad because yeah, you know, what Rashida will be going through as well. Yeah. What was it all for? What was it all for? All the protection and nonsenseness I was doing. What was it all for? It's sad. The last two questions were why do you think Amal decided to leave eventually? Hmm. So Amal is Nabil's daughter. Yeah. Who lived in America came for a stint in back to Morocco to, to see how she could leave after her college graduation, but moved back. I think that she didn't want to disappoint her father. It's, it's like she had to choose between her father and her boyfriend, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how can you choose? It's, it's hard, but especially since her father had cut her off from all, from prior to. So the threat was real that if she had chosen her boyfriend, she might not see her father again. Maybe that was what was going through her mind. Yeah, I think it's just sad because um, it kind of reminds me of my love-hate relationship with Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, you know, having the privilege to school abroad and then as a child, but you grew up in Nigeria, so you get that warm family feeling that you know, Africa always gives you. Yeah. And it's nice because you're with family and you take those good memories and go to school in the in, in America or wherever. Yeah. And you're always missing home because that those are the memories you that stick with you. And then when it's time for you to make a name in the world and you know, you start to earn money, you start to use your expertise you learned in school. 
you start to make decisions about love, you start to make decisions about your ideology, you know, what should strengthen your ideology and what you believe in and what shouldn't be part of it, what is toxic to you. And then you take all these beliefs and dreams and ambitions and you take it back to that childhood um, environment and you just realize you've, you've grown up, you've matured, it's just not the same. No matter how you try and twist, turn, it's just not the same. And it's quite disappointing because, yeah. It's hard to just... that your adult life, I guess, or your mature part of you with, with that feeling of home, what you grew up with. Yeah. And I wonder if it's like that for people in the developed world. But I guess it is. Like maybe if you grew up in Lancashire and you come back and realize Lancashire is too small and you want to be in London. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess it's just different, but I think at least they go to London, you know, so they are still making up parts of their economy. Whereas we, even our cities are not good enough for us and we have to move out and we are part of the brain drain statistics, you know? Yeah. You know, we're paying tax to, developed countries where are putting our energy our resources and our people are inevitably emigrating and there's no way forward mm-hmm. you know if you you know amal had a choice so no amal had the choice but amal was a similar age to yusuf because they were born months apart mm-hmm. so i think amal I think the, the author did a good job of describing people like the two worlds and just the fact that it's so far apart, but it's the same. It comes to the same ending where the future doesn't look bright for youth in Morocco and in many, in other parts of Africa as well. Like no matter how rich you are, um, you're still faced with the same problems, you know, patriarchy, corruption, no space, no chance for the youth, you know, mm-hmm. just a lot of dirty business going on that you really don't want to be part of. Mm-hmm. And if you have the opportunity, you leave. You leave sadly, but you have to leave. I mean, yeah. I feel like Did you want to say something? Amal had, I mean, she had more choices. She definitely had more choices. Yusuf didn't have many choices. But isn't that crazy that she still left? Yeah. With all the resources at her disposal, she's literally the only child of a wealth to like a millionaire, billionaire family. And she decided to go and live with her boyfriend in in just humble settings in America. Isn't that crazy? Like it's uh it's it sucks because guilt brought her back to unhappiness or brought her to Mm -hmm. make the the choice that she didn't want to make but just that guilt yeah I mean imagine if she didn't have guilt or or potential shame that would be placed upon her she would be a life where she might be happy yeah so yeah your child's happiness um but Mm -hmm. of course her her dad didn't care about that (laughs) had his own agenda yeah yeah 
That's why, like, if you bring for in my personal opinion, if you bring kids into the world, um, you 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 can't be selfish about them. If you're if you're upset yourself, you can't transfer your anger to your child. If you want, uh, you you can't bring children into the world to take care of you. Like, it, it can't be selfish. Um, and I think yeah. people when they have children, they think very selfishly. Um. So. Is interesting you say that there was a obviously because of the um, boarding school situation and that young twelve year old boy dying. Some ladies, I think she's an actress, she came out to say she doesn't understand the point of boarding schools. That you go through the stress of you know trying to get pregnant and then you have children and your children are lucky enough to live up to the age ten and you ship them away to boarding school. Right. Like why would you? want them to live far apart from you if you love them so much they should be by your side all the time you should be looking at them yeah and I really wondered about that like if it's because you want them to get a really really good education I guess I can see but also what part can you make in providing that and like in providing subs um additional education to what their school can provide like, can you be more a part to make sure they, they get quality education? I don't think you don't have I don't to. Understand. Like, people ship their kids off maybe to for them to have a better chance at education, a good education. So I'm saying that what if your child goes to a regular school, right? And they might not be learning as much as you want them to learn. Why not you pick up some books and spend a couple more hours with your children after school to provide them with more education that they might be getting at, at boarding school. But is that really practical? Like my mom was a single mom and she was just always at work. Like I can't see us not doing boarding school. She would have, it would have just been too much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we did have house helps, but just that time away to try and earn. But at the same time, I for it, it's very interesting because she she makes comments like like she was saying today that yeah she had to just ship my last sister to boarding school because you know too many people were beginning to look at her like because she was quite mature for her age because she had only a little bit of flesh so she didn't just like the stairs that she was getting and she just shipped her to boarding school because that way she felt should have been a bit more protected Mm. so parents do have their reasons but as someone that has been to boarding school I can categorically say that my children are not going to boarding school yeah so I can imagine like if you really look at it because I think Nigerians they always say that oh boarding school discipline I remember thinking again because my sister was a bit chubby I I must which I regret. I even used to say, "Oh, thank God she went to boarding school because she de- like she definitely lost weight." But is that necessarily a good thing to say? Like, why does she have to lose weight and be punished and not eat and basically starve because you want her to look a certain way? Uh, and I think parents in Nigeria do this. Like, oh, I want my children to go to boarding school. Because they'll be more disciplined and stuff. 
But what do you mean by I, I, obviously we all want our kids to be disciplined, but can you really break that down and categorize what you mean? Does it involve emotional, physical trauma? Like what do you mean by be more disciplined? That's a good question. In that yeah. I guess scratch what I said before. Like boarding school can work. It can work. But it like in what kind of environment are you creating at that school? And I think in Nigeria, maybe they don't have the healthiest of environments, but I'm sure some other boarding schools around have good environments where their kids do learn discipline, wake up early, clean up after yourself, wash your dishes, (laughs) make your bed, that kind of thing. Okay, okay. Yeah, there there are things like that that I want my child to do, but yeah, it's just very interesting. Yeah. Who so has can... that helped? If I can make my bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who has that helped? Do you understand? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, um, it's just very interesting. But I can't, in fact, I said I was homeschool my children till they're ready to go to university. And then someone will be like, <laughs> you want your children to be sad <laughs> to back. So um, I would definitely opt. Obviously, this is wishful thinking because it might not happen. Um, but yeah, be a weekly boarder or so they, they, they board Monday to Friday, but I pick them up on Saturday mm-hmm. or day school. I need to know what they are being fed. I need to, I feel the need. I need to sterilize it. I need to make sure when it reaches them that their self-esteem is not eroding. Yes. I need to tell them every day that they are good and they are good enough. Yeah. I just feel the need to do that, and I don't know. You know, but, I wonder if these boarding schools in Nigeria get audited. Like, how do how do they? Um, is there yeah, a how are they? That what checks them out? Yeah, I understand. Like, what? How are they graded? Right. Funny enough, when I first came to Nigeria after school, that was one of my first missions. I wanted to have a grading. Well, I wished I had a grading system for schools. Mm-hmm. like league tables in the UK it's called the league tables mm-hmm. for schools but obviously I come up with a lot of ideas and don't carry out but like you know I mean you should I, that's one that's a good one you should if you can right that'd be because really I think people equate ex- expensive schools in Nigeria to good schools which is not necessarily a bad thing but Doing College is one of the most expensive schools in Nigeria. I think it's first three in Lagos. Hmm. First three or first four or first five. I'm not sure. Like, they pay good money. Good, one million naira per term. Good money. You know, they don't joke. So, to come back with the cops of your son. No, Nigerians are outraged. They should be. They should demand answers. There needs to be a governing body to investigate these things and to investigate periodically these schools and what's going on. Okay. We've come to the end of our podcast. Um, Any last words about the book, Ugochi? Um, This was a... This was a cool book. (laughs) It took me a while to get through because it wasn't necessarily the the kinds of books that I like but it was a good book um you know I like more of the history kind of stuff and learning about cultures and I don't feel like I really got that here 
but um, nonetheless, it was a good book. It was nice to explore the emotions of the characters. Um, yeah, so I agree with you. you now, coming to think of it, yeah, it wasn't very history, history heavy, but, you know, it was so descriptive in the way Yusuf lived and, you know, the circumstances surrounding that. It, it was so familiar with me, obviously, growing up in Nigeria. So I think I was happy to lean to that and to um, recognize that in the book. So that's why, yeah, I forgot about Baghdad. Yeah, it wasn't periodic. Yeah. It's okay. I mean, it's still a good book. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you for joining us on this episode. As usual, I just love discussing books with Gochi. Um, this was quite nice as well because um, obviously we did this by ourselves at the few episodes at, at, at the beginning so it has come around full circle where it's just both of us at the end again um, this is our final episode of this season next season well we're planning it for we're hoping to be more broader in the sense of including male authors yeah. so that well, books will be easier to find yeah. and just also to give the men the chance a chance so thank you for joining us. Um, we will start planning our next season and hope to see you guys there. Um, please follow us and check us out on all our social media handles at Aquarius Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And hope you have a joyous week as you begin the Christmas celebrations and. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us.